What's up, nerds? Welcome back to another uh, very special episode of Region Free. Maybe maybe more special than any episode we've done so far. And you know why? Blake Hester, the co-host of this podcast. I'm AJ Moser, talking to Blake Hester, talking to you, the audience. What movie are we watching? Well, we already watched it, I hope. Today, we're talking about the movie we watched, Ricky O, colon, the story of Ricky. Um, Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Motherfuckers always complain about One Punch Man Season 2, but I watched it last night, and it seems great. You watched the One Punch Man the, season two. The joke is Ricky L. He he kills a lot of his opponents with one, with punch, one punch, similar to One Punch Man. Barely. See, even what with I've a punch. been led, what I've been led to believe on YouTube is the height of media criticism is just comparing one thing to another and calling it a day. Okay, thanks for tuning into Region Free this week. We've compared <laughs> Ricky O to one thing. Uh, <laughs> in and out under under eighty seconds. That's peak media criticism. No, <laughs> shit. Uh. The reason this episode is so special, in my estimation, um, this feels like one of the movies that we sort of have designed the ethos of this podcast around. Um, Ricky O, the story of Ricky, was distributed by Golden Harvest in the United States, was notoriously kind of hard to find for a very long time. Recently, uh, even rec- today. Even today, <laughs> as, as one of our hosts learned. Um, yeah. Was recently redistributed in a, a beautiful Blu-ray edition uh, by the boutique Tokyo Shock. Um, mm, I and thought it was 88 films. Maybe it was a collaboration or something. Uh hmm. They might have both done it over the years. I think 88 had the most recent one. Yeah, Tokyo Shock was the the, the first DVD distribution. Mm. You're correct there. Um, mm. But kind of a notorious cult film with uh, what what some might call over-the-top violence uh, and well, some gratuitous gore. I feel like it's one of the kind of entry-level um like east asian cult film ultra mm-hmm. gory ichi being another one old boy to some degree big big man japan though i don't remember if that's particular gory or not tokyo gore police like there's a handful of them and ricky occupies a similar space as all those films yeah absolutely um kind of a, another early example of category three films which we've talked about a little bit the sort of that's right uh what's the word harshest rating you can get as a film uh coming out of yeah the equivalent of like nc-17 or x over here maybe uh ty west is gonna do a a remake of of ricky o's story of ricky you know there's a really good well (laughs) there's a pretty good documentary about uh cat 3 which is like even though it's a rating it's kind of just a genre in and of itself now totally because yeah we don't get as many anymore so it's kind of like insulated is that the right word? Insulated? Yeah. Anyway, um, there's a good documentary about it that comes with the unearthed copy re-release of The Untold Story, which is a fantastic Cat 3 film. I just recommend seeking out, but it also comes with that documentary that goes into the history of, like, Ricky, oh, Men Behind the Sun, all the Herman Yao stuff. It's really cool. Some wild stuff was going on. Yeah. I mean, I almost I almost want to start with the history of the film because a lot of it is so fascinating. Um mm particularly in the case of uh, Fansu Wong, who plays the lead character, Mr. Ricky himself, or uh, mm-hmm. kind of if you're if you're watching the original Cantonese version, his his character's name is Lick Wong. Uh, but the American I, version gets the the beautifully translated Ricky Ricky uh, Wong, well, I think maybe. Also, so so I watched the dubbed version yes. of this because I couldn't find it streaming anywhere except for 
maybe an Egyptian equivalent to YouTube. It was like had the fully dubbed, Arabic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which had the dubbed version where they call him Ricky Ho. Now, now is is that is it my ignorance to think it would is pronounced O, or would that actually be pronounced Ho? Because they just call him Ricky Ho. Part of that is the like bastardization of the dub which is pretty notorious mm. um for I being i kind of really liked the english dub version <laughs> like it's totally just one of those good. things that's um people sort of hold up as like uh this is just what they were doing around this time because this movie comes out uh in in asia in 91 or 92 um mm-hmm. and then makes its way over to the united states a couple of years later just for freaks like us it was like oh these perverts are gonna are gonna buy that dvd they love these yeah. martial arts films where eyes are popping out of sockets blood and guts are 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 poking out of people's chests all the time they're gonna dig this shit um and so to to do so basically you just get a couple of American actors to to watch the movie very closely and and dub over the uh, original dialogue and yeah the dub is is like makes this movie funnier kind of than it already is I think a lot of this movie is over the top and gratuitous in a way that is extreme that I find funny it's hard to mm-hmm. tell if that's like you know the filmmaker's direct intention with a film like this it's not particularly hard when you have someone you know pulling out their intestines and wrapping them around someone to be like, I, I think that maybe was intended a little bit as a joke. Yeah. Um, but the English dubbing just takes the viewing experience to another level to be like, this is a an out-and-out comedy. There is one moment in the dub that is, uh, I, I'd wager comedy gold, because I, I can't, it's been about a decade since I had watched this movie originally in its native language. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, but I don't think this would have been the case. There is a point where a guy is peeing and idly singing, and the song he sings is the Rolling Stones <laughs> can't get no satisfaction in the <laughs> dub. And I'm like, that's a wild pick for this dub. Maybe that's uh, why this movie is so hard to find because of the, uh, the licensing oh, the issues. Copyright. Yeah. They were yeah, like, it like, sounds exactly like Mr. Jagger himself. That's right. It's a very funny moment. Loved it. Yeah. Um, well, the, the point I was trying to make initially, or just a little anecdote I wanted to tell, this is based on a, a popular manga series uh, hmm. in Japan, also called Rikio, uh, that probably, you know, runs much longer. I haven't read any of it. I'm assuming it kind of extends past this arc. I know that they did eventually make a sequel to this film that is sort of disowned and uh, hmm. not as beloved as this one. But yeah, the the main actor was basically coming up as, like, a dancer or a uh, martial artist. Like, you know, a guy who sort of performs um, in in China and basically, like, gets approached to, like, hey, want to come be in a, a kung fu movie? So flies over to Japan. And I watched, there was a featurette on the, on the Blu-ray that I was talking about. The way he tells it, basically, the plane lands, they hand him the script. They're like, want to be Ricky O in the Ricky O movie? And he's like, I guess so, and then you know the rest is history. Oh, they uh, shot this in Japan. Uh, I believe so. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know much about the production of this at all. Like, it is just a film that has occupied a little corner of my brain for the past ten, twelve years, and have never really looked into it beyond just like that's a crazy movie. Some of the best, uh, or at least most memorable, kind of gore you can you can get in a film i think that's what anyone who watches this movie walks away remembering 
It's it's easy to watch this movie, AJ, and think, wow, that's a goofy, stupid film. But I would like to posit this idea. Pause it. A, ma- a master class in film pacing. Yeah. About two minutes of setup, and then it gets out of its <laughs> way, and it's like, we all know why we're here, and here's 90 minutes of fucking blood and guts. Yeah, it does It does make a quick little detour for some flashbacks and some backstory mm-hmm. filling in. But for the most part, yeah, this movie is like, hey, here's a bad guy. They've crossed Ricky in some way. Time to watch them die in a... Uh, elaborately comical fashion in well in a way that feels like manga that's the great thing about this movie i think it's like it's the same with like ichi and granted Mm -hmm. there's so many manga adaptations i mean even old boy is a manga adaptation but like there's so there's very few that feel like they meet in the middle in the right way of being live action while also an adaptation of manga usually they just go too far and trying to make it like a cartoon you know i think about like maybe the uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure movies by Mike, I think, are pretty. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to speak from a, a point of authority on the live action Jojo movies, as if I've <laughs> seen them. But I, I, I kind of, sure. I'm picking up what you're putting down. But you know what I mean? Like Ichi and this, they're like they both work as live action films, as dramas in their own right, and but know when to kind of go pedal to the fucking metal and be like, here's an, here's a very goofy, outlandish moment. Yeah, like the... a man pulling his large intestine out and strangling a character with it the 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 superstructure of this film is also rather video gamey in that Mm, it's just mm. kind of a bunch of levels with boss characters some like you know some mobs you take care of really quickly but this this movie is really you know sort of structured in a way like it's just an elaborate tournament or like a kind of boss gauntlet because you're introduced to like, again, just this escalating series of uh, adversaries to overcome. I thought as soon as the movie gave it set up to me, my immediate thought was, Oh, this would be a great video game. (laughs) I would, I would play the shit out of it. Uh, Absolutely. Somebody pick this license up. (laughs) Early platinum games on this thing. Just put in the mad world engine. I was thinking our boys at RGG could, could could make a good game out of this yeah they did a fist of the north star game yeah there, there is precedent for them to do adaptations and with ishan they did an adaptation of history so you know i've heard maybe. of it yeah <laughs> um, yeah you ever heard of the meiji restoration <laughs> this this film takes place in the far off dystopian hyper capitalist future of the year uh 2001 <laughs> Where where pr- prisons have become a commodified private industry. I mean, in terms of opening text scrawls that really scrawls, scrolls or crawls. I said scrawls. What do you think about that? I thought scrawl was correct, actually. Opening text scrawl. Maybe it is a thing. Yeah. Um, in terms in terms of t- uh, big words flying onto the screen to get you invested in the world that you're watching, it's Star Wars. Uh, and it's Riccio because from the first yeah. frame of this film, I, w- I, I wish I had it verbatim in front of me, but it's very similar to what I kind of just laid out there. It's like the year's 2001, uh, prisons have taken over capitalism. They're all privatized, hyper militarized, mm-hmm. uh, dystopian hellscapes. Uh, the world sucks. Here's Ricky. He's going to well, fix the, it. The analogy they use is literally like prisons are just like parking lots now. Yeah. Which is uh, just a, a very evocative sentence. And it's also funny. Like, I feel like the no politics and art crowd, they, they would take something like Ricky that's 
on its surface very dumb and goofy. And it's like, from the jump, this movie's like, yeah, it's hyper-political. Deal with it. All right, now let's rip this dude's entrails out. How hyper-political is it? Uh, I'm just saying, the the statement in and of itself posits the film as some kind of commentary or, like, a speculative fiction. There's no two ways around it. I'm not saying it's a great text um, up there with, like, William Gibson, you know? Prison's bad. Capitalism, bad. Capitalism equals prison? Question mark? Parking lot? Parking lot? Um, Question mark? You know, I'm we're, just saying it's an interesting idea to consider. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's as political as the film gets, but it's good enough up top <laughs> to just kind of to to draw me uh, in. I, my my I little mean, my little ears are per- perking up no, the second I'm seeing the, that shit. No, the entire movie is about how the prison complex is evil. <laughs> yeah, the, whole, I, the movie never backs off of its like stance as an anti like carceral state film. Let me tell you, when the when the warden turns into a giant sort of troll monster, I was like, "Yep, we got to tear these things down." Look, I, look, I, no okay. one's free till I, we're all free. I don't want to get on a soapbox about Ricky O, the story of Ricky. <laughs> I think it just does a disservice to the movie to be like, "There's 17 words, and that's the end of its political messages." Like, it is clearly an anti-prison, anti-drug trade like film. Yeah. Um. Well. You know, that's how we're introduced to it, and uh, Ricky is being kind of ferried into the prison. There's a, a mm-hmm. cool shot of, like, this this prisoner bus driving across this big, long bridge, taking them out to this kind of isolated, very high-security prison, which, you know, contrasting with the introduction, we know that this particular prison isn't just one of these, you know, as common as a shopping mall kind of prisons. This one's kind of a big deal, as, as we'll come to learn. Um, but it's really... A bad, a bad scenario to find yourself in. And I like the way, uh, the, like, intro to this movie is just introducing these, it's like two or three, just kind of real meek, run-of-the-mill prisoners. And then, as soon as, uh, our boy Ricky steps on, steps on camera, you're like, this is a different film than what I thought I was watching, (laughs) you know? (laughs) He, he says one of the hardest things in film history. He goes through a uh, metal detector, which immediately goes off. The cops search him. Because he's, he's, he's shirtless, nothing. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it turns out he has five bullets lodged in him. And they're like, Ricky, why didn't you have the surgeon pull him out? And he just goes, souvenirs. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> fuck, dude. All right, let's go. I mean, 50 Cent made a career off that same thing. That's right. You remember that? Remember that one? That was 50 Cent's whole thing? Yeah. Like, he got shot. Nine times. Nine times? Yeah. That that's an astounding amount of times to be shot. Like I, I, I would, I would it, like to be shot nine times less than that in my life. I mean, I would say more impressive than being the owner of vitamin water is surviving being shot nine <laughs> times in your life. That's but which is more wild. hardcore? Which cost him more money? Restoring electrolytes money. to the masses. It's hard to say. Which one bankrupted him? Didn't he go bankrupt? After I don't know. Buying, they call him. Water? They call him twenty five cent now. He had to liquidate some of those assets. That's a good. That's a good joke. That's a good thank joke. you. Thank you. Uh, Ricky, what's Ricky doing in prison? Uh, he killed some people. Oh, that's not great. I wouldn't do that. I don't agree with that from a moral uh, standpoint. But hey, you do what you got to do. How quickly does this film sort of just? flip on itself being like look here's here's the entire backstory we're not going to play particularly coy five minutes ten minutes i mean yeah you're within the gore within like five or ten minutes yeah like there's like 
It's like there's a dude. His name's Ricky. He's kind of a he's kind of a rude dude with attitude, and he's going to commit atrocities in this prison. Are you ready? Yeah. And and it's a little freak. It's a little pervert. Well, yeah, I'm <laughs> of ready. Of course, I'm ready. That's what I you know. Of I saw. I'm ready. I saw the poster. I saw the trailer. I know what I'm. I know what yeah. I'm here for. But like, there's that's why I'm saying it's a it's a masterclass in film pacing because the whole reason we're here is to be little perverts. Yeah, it's a no. And the film does not tease you. It's there's a no, no bullshit. No bullshit experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a you know two and a half hour version of this film with all of the the trimmings attached uh, that this particular movie and this particular story just decide to excise up top. So the backstory, I think we should just dispense with it now because it's probably the easiest way to to rip through the rest of the plot. Uh, Ricky was trained from a young boy by his uncle slash grandfather in a graveyard uh in the ancient martial art of qigong which you focus all of your energy uh in into your body and then you're able to just punch through basically anything uh with no problem whatsoever um a a fun little tidbit about his uncle as as far as i know it's the only japanese actor in the film it's a tetsuro tamba who has been in like he was in like a bunch of the Kenji Fukasaku things, um, like the Battles Without Honor and Humanity mm. series. He was in Graveyard of Honor by Miike, which is a Fukasaku remake. He was in Gozu, um, 13 Assassins, uh, the one from 1963. He uh, When he popped on screen, I was like, this guy is so familiar. And I looked him up, and there you go. It was because I had seen him in countless Fukasaku and Miike movies. Those uh, Those graveyard training sequences are pretty incredible. <laughs> They go so hard. It's really just like, you know, classic sort of got to focus on my energy to become so so pissed off and so strong. And guess what? He is. And it works. As a white man in America, I am so pissed off, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm not strong enough to punch through a tombstone. <laughs> just kind of like. But, hey, maybe if I go sit and focus for a while, I could get there. Yeah, yeah, but we don't quite learn why Ricky's in prison yet. They do tease that out. Yeah, well, they say up top that he committed manslaughter. Committed but manslaughter. Like we don't. Under- yeah, I, I, yeah, we don't know the context. We we do it. sort of get a couple of those flashbacks in mm-hmm. this sequence as well, where it's like, I think we see a little bit of the altercation, but don't understand kind of the reasoning and what's going on. We definitely meet the girlfriend character early on here too, as well, which is just like there. Uh, playing the slide whistle together, throwing a an airplane in a glorious field, just doing like beautiful yeah. things that that young lovers do. It really warms the heart. That's right, and keeping it pure, keeping it very pure. Yeah, the whole like music uh, subplot in here. It's like Ricky plays the um, yeah, he plays a leaf, like, like a leaf, a flute. yeah, and a flute, um, like a literal leaf. <laughs> He's just so talented. And also, early in the film, it's like, Ricky O, uh, 21 years old, went to music school. <laughs> okay, right on. He had a bright cool. future ahead of him before he was tragically thrown into the life of crime. Yeah. So, who's who's the first guy to, to get on Ricky's bad side? How does that happen? He's just like a little prison bully, a petulant little bitch gets his comeuppance. Yeah. He's bullying this dude. He's like, I just made a toy for my kid. And uh, they beat the shit out of this poor guy. And then Ricky walks in and is like, well, time to kill you. And then he fucking punches through the dude's stomach. Ricky is the arbiter of honor. If he sees yeah. anyone being 
mean, cruel, a little bully. He says, listen up here, pal. Um, I'm going to rip through your intestines with my bare I mean, hands. Literally a, literally, a lot of this movie is similar to the plot of One Punch Man. A man so strong, he will kill you in one punch. Yeah. Is this the fight scene that's, like, in the showers or whatever, right? Mm, there are two in the bathrooms okay. showers. This is the first one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that that's always happening in, in, in the prisons as well. Yeah. The, there, there's a funny scene later in, in the shower where another fight ensues where all the men are naked except Ricky because he has to turn around. So he ha- he's wearing uh, <laughs> underwear yeah. in the shower. As soon as this first uh, outburst of violence occurs, he kind of gets on the radar of my favorite character in the film, who's uh, not the warden, the kind assistant of warden. what assistant, He's warden, the assistant warden with a with a false eye and a hook hand who has the most sort of elaborate uh office setup where people wheel him in gourmet meals and he's watching porno on vhs tapes all the time yeah his office is covered in vhs's of pornos it's like such an amazing sight i wish that's what my living room looked like i'm not sure i would sit around watching vhs porno especially when people are coming in trying to do business with you they're like there's this guy who's murdering all your all your uh other other prisoners and he's like yep that sounds really tough i'm gonna get to it right after this a weird thing about this man that I couldn't quite put my finger on was he has a false eye that he's always pulling out and then pouring mints out of yeah. and offering them to people. <laughs> so he has mints in his cranium. I think that's what they call a little gag, a little goof. It must be something from the manga. That sounds like something dumb that would be in manga. He also kind of says, hey, if if this Ricky guy is bad news, I know a handful of people who can maybe put a stop to it. Uh, and it's literally the gang of four, just his biggest, meanest, baddest kind of uh, associates, underlings, mm-hmm. however you want to call it. Are they prisoners? I couldn't quite figure this out. Yeah, I kind of I kind of got the sense that they were like making the best of a bad situation and are kind of like look you get free reign in the prison here if you do uh our dirty work and kind of agree to just like clean up all the messes for us they all seem to really relish the violence and the killing and that whole entire experience so i i think you know they're at least enjoying whatever it is that they're doing i okay look i'm a level with you aj moser please do i really don't know if we need to go Beat by beat in this movie. Okay. Take me somewhere interesting. What – any reason anyone's going to watch this movie and why people are going to listen to this movie is to hear about the kills. Yeah. Of which there are many and they're all spectacular. But I'd like to start uh, – you had not seen this movie until like two weeks ago, right? Yeah, basically. I, it had been and on my radar for watched, a very long time. And now you have watched it five times. <laughs> I think it's more like three or four. Yeah. Okay. So I've watched the I've there. watched the the original Cantonese, I've watched the English dub, and then I've hopped around with the commentaries mm-hmm. a couple of times. So I just want to start there. Like when you what was your first watch through like? Yeah, I mean I found the storytelling to be rather bare bones and basic, but in a film like sure. this, I'm like, we're just going from whatever you want to call set piece to set piece, violent moment to violent mm-hmm. moment, kill to kill. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciated the like creativity of the filmmaking and how sparse some of the sets were. Like it, it, mm. it lent this feeling of 
just such oppressive emptiness in all of the industrial spaces of the prison. Like <laughs> a feels, lot of, I think it, it looks like it's shot in a real prison, maybe a decommissioned one. Yeah. Or that they just like be. built a bunch of, you know, they had like one warehouse and they would just throw up like a yeah. slab wall and then be like, okay, here's a prison cell. Here's the shower yeah. thing. Like, um, so all of that was really cool because it's so, like bare bones and basic from a production design standpoint. And you can tell that they were putting the money and the effort into the stunt coordination and the gore and the kills and all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. But I mean, like what stood out to you watching it? Oh, ah, gosh, I don't know. Maybe uh, the blood and guts. (laughs) Here's the thing, AJ. I know you're a serial rewatcher of films. It's It's a quality viewers. I do envy. However, I was a little shocked to realize you had watched this film three, four, if you ask me, five, <laughs> by my count, times. So, like, what was it about that initial watch through? Like, did you know the level of violence did, or did you know, just know it was violent? Were you taken back by the wackiness? Like, what drew you to want to rewatch this thing so many times in two weeks aside from Blake kept rescheduling? Recording? Oh, yeah. No, it definitely was the uh, the kind of – you know, cascading structure of the film. That's like, it's pretty easy to just like get lost in the escalation of the violence. I kind of wanted to appreciate the structure a bit more and get a sense of like what was really happening outside of just this, this barrage of constant violence Mm. and like appreciate the differences in uh, how the story was being presented in both versions. Sure. Any standouts from that? Well, I think, like I mentioned up top, I think the the English dub is a lot more inherently kind of comical. Um, I think there's a lot lost when you can't really understand the language that they're speaking and you're reading subtitles. And so, yeah. you know, in that way, it felt a lot more like, okay, maybe they're like really trying to do a more straight adaptation of like the manga uh, mm. storyline or like present these characters in a bit more of a way. Like, you know, th- it felt like there are more realized characters in the original version and the english version is kind of just like doesn't matter who this guy is you just have to say this line that's like ricky i'm gonna kill you you're so bad yeah i I, it's a little bit of a bummer i had to watch the dub because like i must have been 18 when i watched this last and truly don't other than some other well well, you you, remember anything you must have been because it's it's a category three film you couldn't watch it if you were under 18 that's right. That's right. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I think the way I watched this, and this is like, this goes back to my early film watching history, is I think this was on demand, like Insight or something mm-hmm. on demand. And I wish I could remember what channel, but there were all these like free movies we could get on demand at my parents' house. And that's where I watched like Gummo the first time. Oh. I think Ichi the Killer, because they would just have like... It would be like the satellite channels, and they would have on-demand channels, and they would have free films on them. So I would just, like, watch all this shit. And I really think the way I watched this movie the first time was scrolling through that and seeing Ricky O, the story of Ricky. I mean, like, that's a really dumb movie name. I'm throwing it on. And if I remember correctly, I watched this thing completely blind. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, went into it not knowing a single fucking thing. The, the first time I heard of this movie came on my radar um, was... I saw the trailer in a theater, like a repertory theater that was doing a screening or something. And as you can imagine, the trailer for this movie is pretty fucking good because they just (laughs) slam in all of the guys bursting through walls, guys bursting through other guys, men transforming into demons, all that sort of shit. And so I saw that trailer and I'm like, what the hell was that movie? Um, 
for one reason or another, I, I didn't, you know, see it in the theater. Um, but it's, it's kind of been on my watch list ever since. And I knew that, or, you know, in, in doing that cursory look into it, I've, I learned that it was pretty inaccessible. Um, so I got my hands on that Blu-ray and then I was like, well, here we go, baby. It's, it's Ricky time. It's it's weird. It felt like it was accessible for a while. Yeah, like I think it was on. I think it was away. on Mubi. I think it was on Arrow's streaming service. Um, I think. Well, I, I'm almost certain it was on Amazon. But yesterday, like yeah. it was nowhere. Yeah, like all, all the all the it. listings are kind of still up, but it just says like this yeah. title is not available. So it's a weird rights weird sort rights of thing. must have. Rights must have switched over sometime in the last year or something. Yeah, I know that Golden Harvest is uh pretty defunct as of now. I wonder if that was just a thing where it's like they kinda sent it out and were like, Hey, you guys want us to host this movie still? And it was just like, Hey, this company doesn't exist anymore. Sorry. Sorry about yeah. that. Which is a bummer because they, they did some great work. Yeah. I mean, what a what an awesome film to just have like sprung out of like early I I'm not saying it came out of nowhere in its home country, but like back then in America, it was not very often you we got any foreign film honestly so the fact this film somehow made its way over is like a little bit of a miracle that we like know about it especially as long as it's been around because i feel like it's been kicking around for decades at this point yeah i i forget which other uh episode we were kind of talking about this on but that like that burst in the 90s where it was just like look for some reason the little the sickos the perverts over here in america are just like Anything, you know, uh, East Asian with extreme violence or sort of these dark, crazy themes, just like, we'll eat that shit up. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of them, yeah, I guess a lot of them were caught up in, I think, the J-horror boom. Yeah. Which, like, I think people kind of reflect a little, like, they have a, a bit of a revisionist history these days on that whole thing. But, like, it was pretty amazing in just what it brought over because by the time Audition, Ring, Battle Royale, and Grudge were blowing up, Tartan was just buying the license for everything. Tokyo Shock was mm -hmm. buying the license for a lot of stuff. Arts Magic came around. And so it, the J-Horror boom really get brought along, like, a new era of, like, late 90s, early 2000s martial arts, Yakuza films, like – all this stuff that now we like recognize as like legendary works in cult or just in world cinema in general. Like, honestly, we kind of have a, the J horror boom. At least people our age. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, we probably wouldn't know about a lot of it without like the J horror boom, which people seem to be like, yeah, but some of those movies were a little derivative. And it's like, yeah, but we also like know who a lot of these people are because of those movies. Yeah. You know? I mean, and I think that's probably the case here as well. It's not like this movie was sort of an instant runaway success or anything like that either. Mm -hmm. Like it kind of, it did fine um, at the, the box office or whatever, you know, however you want to judge that, like people kind of saw it and, and appreciated it for what it was, but it was in those years immediately sort of following when it was getting released on DVD or VHS or whatever it would be. And people kind of took an interest to it. I think a lot of like, you know, teenagers could, could, could watch it at home and we're like, holy shit, yeah. like, let's go. Um, yeah. I'm reading here too that it actually was on like Netflix in one of their early streaming iterations like wow. when they started doing that oh yeah maybe that's where i watched maybe. it um, i wonder yeah because apparently it also got a like recent sort of remastered translation i'm not really sure how this works but mm. um 
the Blu-ray that I have, the subtitles on the, you know, original version there were, were totally like a, a net new translation or version okay. of the subtitles. So, um, that's pretty interesting just based on what I was talking about earlier, where I was like, it kind of feels like a more distinct, uh, story yeah. telling experience at the very least. Okay. Um, so maybe I've got to rewatch but... it again if I can track down this sort of original, uh, English I mean, hard coded brother. Brother, go to whatever website you sent me yesterday. Yeah. Definitely gave me a work computer of Vice hey, and watch it there. That is what it is. This was this was not a good print of this movie, not a good not good subtitles. Like it was some bare bones shit I watched last night. How does your version look actually? Incredible. It's it's really great. God. Like it looks it looks so good. It's one of the one of the <sighs> better Blu rays that I own for sure. God, mine looked so bad. <laughs> I know. I, I I scrubbed through it. I was like, I want to make sure this is the whole movie. I'm sending Blake and not just like five minutes yeah. of Ricky and then it turns into porn. Porn. <laughs> it's a it's a deleted scene. The assistant warden just pulls the VHS off. And, and he's like, okay, we're going to watch this now, watch. kids. Honestly, that would be hilarious. More, more movies should do that. So the best kill in the movie is when the guy punches at Ricky and he punches back and their hands meet and his and all of his fingers get through. blown off. He punches into the guy's whole arm. Yeah, in amazing moment. I really like the courtyard fight where uh, Ricky rips the dude's eye out, um, mm-hmm. and then the dude mm-hmm. sort of goes to commit seppuku out of shame. Uh, right, stabs himself, cuts himself open. And then is like, hey, this was just a trick. Pulls out his guts, wraps them around Ricky. Legendary. Yeah, and um, someone in the courtyard yells, like, you've got a lot of guts, Oscar, which is, that's as good as a movie could get. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I, I, I mean, the end, of course, is amazing, where he puts the, the final boss, if you will, through an industrial-sized meat grinder. Yeah, people talk about Chekhov's gun a lot. This film has uh, Chekhov's meat grinder. <laughs> explain what what yeah well no you know you know what a Chekhov's oh, gun is right there's a meat grinder yeah in the film, they introduce yeah, a meat grinder early like in act yeah. two and then you know in act three you're like someone's going through that meat grinder and they save it for the last and like just okay um that's very funny that is very funny thank you you were poo-pooing it on it earlier and i was like come on now um i love the ways that this movie skates around or perhaps doesn't skate around uh probably its budget limitations where it will use very obviously fake uh stand-ins or like uh mm, someone gets thrown dummies. off a roof and it's very clearly a dummy and then the whole like yeah. plastic uh version oh of the God. final boss the best one of my favorite kills in this film i guess not a kill you don't actually see the kill but one of my favorite like attacks in this film is when we meet a character, he's kind of this meat character who hangs around the four pit bosses, yeah. um, who has had his tongue cut off. It's, that's a whole weird plot point. Ricky teaches him to play the flute, so it's all good. Yeah, as well, his his bros, for lack of a better term, realize he's been fraternizing with the enemy, and they just slice at his face, and there's like, it just cuts everything from below his nose. And it just falls down yeah, like a sheet. That's like it's just exposed muscle and shit. It's so good. Another it's great, another so great jaw good. moment in this movie uh, is in one of the last fights. Ricky just punches someone's face so hard that it sort of caves in uh, their mouth. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that's why. But let's just skip the plot. Yeah, like this is what we're hyped about. I also, really loved the grown adult man child. He was a good character. Oh my god. Okay. Well, yeah. Let's. <laughs> 
let's get through the rest of the plot. Uh, basically, we, we were so close. Um, okay. We're introduced to like the, the gang of four who I think we've just described how they all, you know, basically end up dying. That's, that's most of the yeah. movie, honestly, is just being like dispatched with these Kill. sort of ne'er do wells. Um, at, at once things cut, I, I think there's actually a pretty funny moment where, the they're they come into the assistant warden's office and he's eating another steak like did the did the steak eating moment stick out to you as much as it stuck out to me maybe this is just a a, a thing of watching the movie so many times it's like this is a movie that moves very quickly it's a very brisk film it's like 90 minutes with credits um and so it really doesn't dwell on much of anything and a lot of that is just like violence and gore um the introduction of the assistant warden character is like a very long tracking shot where somebody wheels in like a uh you know whatever you want to call it platter silver platter uh that they yeah, yeah, they bring yeah. up to his desk he he undoes it it's like this big juicy fucking steak you see him using his claw hand to cut the thing open and then it like tracks up to the reveal of his face with the eye and the hand and everything. You're just like, this guy's demented. But then he's like just gratuitously eating this, this steak. And he's talking, they're talking about like, there's this guy, this new prisoner, Ricky, and he's causing all sorts of problems. And the guy's like, whatever, like, we'll just fucking deal with him. Um, I love the assistant warden so much. I'm so, I'm so captivated by him. I don't think the pacing of it stood out to me, but the scene is excellent. Yeah. Well, just in, just in a film that really doesn't make time for much of anything at all, like that bit, that sort of introduction to the assistant warden's uh gluttony, whatever you want to call it, is given about as much time in the film as the backstory of Ricky's uh girlfriend's tragic death. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um something I've thought about a lot with this movie is uh in a movie full of some badass scary dudes, Ricky's a bit of a twink. Well, I love it. He's just the sort of like perfect <laughs> yeah. uh Ubermensch, but, but he's a boy, yeah. like an Uber boy. Age. Come on. You can say that. Say that. that term it's removed yeah. from its its uh negative no. connotations. No. It's in a shin song. It can't be it can't be bad. Well, the shins are a bad band. Oh, come on. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> uh, so, so, okay. Well, the, the funny scene that I was building to there is we've gotten to know the, we've gotten to know the assistant warden very well to be just a comical degree of a fuck up. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, if the warden, if the real warden ever hears about this, you're in, you're in trouble. And the assistant mm -hmm. warden's like, well, don't worry, you know, he's busy on vacation with his kid or whatever. And then the next day, it's like, the warden's back. Uh, and they, they roll out, they literally roll out the red carpet to, to get him out of the car. And then we see his beautiful, beautiful fail son, beautiful big boy, um, like a, a grown man dressed like a child from Earthbound <laughs> who's just eating candy. That's one of the best things you can do in a movie, uh, to let me know that a character is a piece of shit is just have them be constantly eating candy. I'm like, okay, I know what's going on well, here. Well, in World of Conoco, yep. the bad cop always had a lollipop. That's right. Okay, tag yourself. Which one of me and you is the warden? Which one's the son? Uh, I'm the son. I don't think I'm so. I'm the petulant You're little like, boy. I don't think so. I'm like, so. Papa, I, mean... I want to rewatch the story of Ricky again. Unfortunately, I think I'm the, the son. Because you're like a pretty, despite what it may appear on podcasts and on your Twitter feed, you're a very well put together well, man. You're a homeowner. And I eat candy for dinner <laughs> at 28 years old. So, unfortunately, I think I'm the little boy here. What, um, 
what what happens on the red carpet? They kind of somebody somebody makes a fool of themselves, and they're like, okay. Well, they're walking down the carpet, and they kind of trip a little yeah. bit, and so they're like, "Who rolled this carpet?" And they're like, "Who's this prisoner right here?" And he's like, "You didn't check the carpet before putting it down." And he stabs his uh, eye out with an umbrella, yeah. and I'm like, "Oh, now I see what happened to the assistant warden." Excellent. That's what they call uh, showing, not telling. That's right. So now the warden's seeing, in play. Yeah. Not seeing. Yeah. Showing. I seeing. Brother, I, I, I picked up what you were putting down. That's right. We get these great little bits from the warden where he's like, God, I'm getting so pissed off. Uh, I have to take my medication bef- before I get to, I have this disease where something bad happens if I get too pissed off. Don't worry about that. It won't come back into play anytime soon. <laughs> Uh, I didn't even realize that's what that was. Oh, yeah. Because he's like, he's like shaking and he starts transforming a little bit. He just starts getting like, you know, like he's going to rip his, rip out of his suit or whatever. Oh, it didn't even occur to me. I just was like, oh, the guy's got a heart problem. I went to the doctor for my heart the other day. (laughs) I understand this man's pain. It didn't even occur to me. It's, he was turning into the motherfucking bull. The Hulk. The big bull. Um, and then I guess another thing worth mentioning too is, Ricky discovers that they're growing opium and like using the prison basically as just this low key drug ring. And it's at that point where Ricky's like, okay, cool. I've got full moral justification to just go sicko mode to go ape shit on these guys. Hold nothing back. Like everybody can die. Like I said, hyper political. That's right. Well, because. It's the, uh, you know, the opium drug dealers in his pre-prison life who sort of, uh, you know, are harassing his girlfriend and then, like, they're gonna murder her, but she jumps off the roof. That's, and then that's why he goes ape shit. And the sequence where, yeah. the sort of, you know, like, origin moment for Ricky's super natural abilities is done really well, where, mm-hmm. you know, he, unloads on these guys and does get shot however many times not as many as 50 cent but pretty close he's got those bullets lodged in him yeah yeah uh and then it's like okay everything's come full circle we've closed our loops and now it's time for ricky to just go on the fucking rampage that we've been waiting this entire movie for this the entire hour that we've been watching so far there is a moment in this film aj that gave me a bit of i don't know an existential nightmare for a moment okay Spill. And you'll have to wait after this commercial break. I gotta pee. I'll pee. You wanna just uh slide back into it? Yeah, tell me about uh the moment in this movie that ruined your fucking life. It's this mo okay, so it's in the same scene where the guy gets his arm punched through. Great, great moment on scene violence. Or on screen violence. And um on scene violence, he said I'm done with the Sleeping with sirens or whatever. Yeah, mise-en-scene violence. <laughs> um, uh, uh, there, there, there's a giant, uh, I don't know what you call it, a weight just descending from the ceiling to crush Ricky. Mm. And I was watching this movie. Of course Ricky's going to escape. It's going to be fine. But I started <laughs> it's his story. And I imagine, <laughs> that's right, the story is. Um, I started imagining myself in that scenario, these these countless films this has occurred in, you know, where the walls close in or the ceiling closes That's in. Right. I started imagining what it would be like in the final moments of that. To feel your entire body crushed under the yeah, weight of that's one of a the, giant wall. One of the versions of, of of death that often freaks me out the most. That and like 
someone being tied up and lit on fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, my brain my brain watching the scene honestly shut off for a solid minute as I just kind of freaked out about imagining this, yeah. like giving myself like anxiety over it. It's cl- it's so. close to the most frightening uh, death imaginable, which of course we can say it at the exact same time is uh, being, being trapped under a sheet of ice, trying Having to break to out. Having to talk yeah. to the Chapo trap house people. <laughs> That's right. Um, well shit I, I mean there's there's less than 20 minutes left in the movie ricky's just going fucking ape he's just beating guys down and we know that they all deserve it at this point he's, a, he's going crazy ass crazy ass on him. yeah he's holding nothing back like the, and then there's sort of the i mean we should talk about my favorite character how he meets his tragic end which is actually not at the hands of ricky but in a great moment um Ricky sort of throws the assistant warden down the stairs and gives him to the prisoners in this sort of moment yeah. of like, uh, people of the world unite, you have nothing to lose but your chains. They just fucking this, tear him apart. This also scared me for a, a weird moment. Thinking about like, like feral crowds really freak me yeah. out. And like imagining what this warden was about to go through and how helpless he was kind of freaked me out. He, I mean, he deserves, he deserves it. it course, yeah. So like, you would never deserve feral- it. Yeah. Feral crowds are a terrifying thing. You remember that scene in Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds where they shoot the guy in the car? Yeah. Scary moment. Like being literally torn apart limb from limb. Uh, not the way I want to go out. Let's leave it at that. Exactly. There's a really cool fight in like the bathroom. Again, I think this is our second bathroom fight where, mm-hmm. yeah, Ricky at this point is just, he's kind of activated his inner Goku and is just literally punching through guys. It's like, oh, uh, your stomach, boom, there's a hole in that. Your jaw, boom, that's man. been removed. Your arm, uh, what arm? Yeah, like, okay, I, I've watched the first episode of Punch Punch, Punch Punch Man, One Punch Man, so I know the, I know the, the deal. Wait, yeah, you haven't watched One Punch Man? Uh, I watched the first episode and I was like, okay, I get it. No, AJ, you would love One Punch Man. I, I believe it. Even I've watched One Punch Man. I know. And I am, I am unmovable in my anti-anime stance. I don't have time to watch One Punch Man. I've got to watch Ricky O, the story of Ricky, five times. No, you got to watch One Punch Man, dude. It's literally yeah, maybe, Ricky maybe O. I'll, story maybe I'll of throw Ricky. on episode it's, two. Literally, I was watching Ricky O last night and I was like, oh, One Punch Man, got it. Yeah, I've, um, the, I've seen some panels from the manga. I've not read any of it myself, but it, it looks really cool. It actually looks a lot. The art style looks a lot like Fist of the North Star and also sort of mm-hmm. like Berserk. Um, I have no idea what the sort of overall story structure of the thing is, but it's really fascinating that, you know, a product like that could turn into something like this, uh, before you were getting these like flashy, well-produced anime adaptations for kind of any bespoke series that was popular for long enough. I kind of feel like that's where the, like, it's much more of a direct pipeline these days where if a manga is sort of received well in any fashion, it kind of gets fast-tracked into at least, like, one season of an anime adaptation. Um, But, you know, in in this period, it was, like, your longer serialized stuff, like your, your, well, this... This is probably right around when Dragon Ball's beginning to become popular, right? Like, the first one. Didn't that one start in, like, the late 80s? I don't know. I'm not a huge Dragon Ball guy. I think so. Yeah. But, you know. So so what they were doing, and, and this applies, too, to, to stuff like video game movies and the original way that a lot of this was, was just like, hey, 
here's kind of a scrappy budget, like put the characters people want to see on the screen, make it real people. The movie can look like shit. Uh, we'll sell it on the name. You know, this is before the sort of, uh, corporate commodification of, of nerd culture began. So it's, it's, it's a pretty cool little thing to see. Like you, could you imagine making a, a sort of, uh, X rated one punch man movie in this day and like the, you know, if they made a fucking live action movie out of that, it would be all cartoony and colorful and, and whatnot. And, uh, there would be no blood, no guts. Yeah, I guess so. Right? I had not really, well, I don't probably, I don't know because the thing I'm thinking of right now is Gaunt's O, mm-hmm. which like they maintained the manga's darkness. Like they did not make it like family friendly. And so I'm wondering if, like, I don't know. It's an interesting thought experiment. Have you watched Gonzo? No, but I'm familiar. We have to watch that for Region Free. That movie's okay. insane. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I didn't really answer your question. No, it was more of a thought experiment. Uh, well, I guess you, you vibed with it. I guess because it's like, isn't One Punch Man like Shonen Jump or something? Which is like, they are not going to want to put sure. something out that's like only adults can see i feel like so yeah maybe not you wouldn't get something like rikio these days for one punch man except rikio is basically one punch man these sort of you know exploitation era cat three like trauma b movie type movies were really a cottage industry uh at their time Mm -hmm. and i think you know history hasn't forgotten them but i think like their overall legacy isn't really judged as much or as do we appropriately as it should be you know we we've talked about cat three we've talked about pink films you just brought up trauma like are there any equivalents these days i mean there's plenty of transgressive genre pushing extreme violent sex whatever coming out but like it doesn't feel like any of them are like existent pockets anymore the way they used to in the 90s early 2000s yeah you know 80s 70s way back like a a lot of the movies that we've discussed or have talked about doing for this show i've sort of become aware of or have watched or been exposed to through something like shutter which i think Mm -hmm. is a sort of natural extension of that mindset of filmmaking like a lot of you know it obviously takes a lot of the stuff that was already made and preserves it and kind of positions it in a way that's like hey here's why this is worth seeing or like worth keeping around in the culture and then there are all the kind of boutique blu-ray distributors which are in so many words like the reason we sort of the the kind of you know thesis this podcast is built around um but you know I think of something – I bring up Shudder because I think of something like uh, Skinamarink, which was like this experimental, mm-hmm. unrated horror movie that like played at a festival. Or like we're all going to the World's Fair. Same sort of thing. These experimental little horror movies that get mm. enough attention, get kind of well-received, and then get this distribution behind them. It's up, they're, they're obviously not the same in terms of like the budget, the gore, the exploitation. Right. But they are these objects that feel like they – kind of skirt under what mainstream distributors kind of build as acceptable or accessible entry points for filmmakers i guess this will be an interesting conversation to revisit in a couple years because maybe that is what i was thinking of was like different waves of films we got you know and like 
I wonder if, if in five years we'll talk about like, oh, yeah, remember in the early 2020s, we had that wave of internet horror. Yeah. And I'm not talking about like unfriended or shit like that. I, like I am. Stuff that is rooted <laughs> – well, stuff that's rooted in the idea of growing up online and preying on those fears. I wonder if that'll be – because I think Skinamarink maybe is fairly similar. Yeah, I mean I, I, I bring those two up for a very specific reason because mm-hmm. they're pretty intrinsically linked in my estimation where they're – Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you. They're very similar films. Like, they're obviously set in different time periods and deal with different subject matter, but the sort of structure and the things that the filmmakers are Mm -hmm. trying to say. Like, uh, to tie it back to a film like this, like, the exploitation era, your cannibal holocausts, your descents, your whatever you want to call it, like, that's all been done already. And so it kind of makes sense that, like, you can't really – You can't really go back to the well and just be like, we're going to do something transgressive. And it's – you know, that's how you get – Rob Zombie films, Eli Roth films, right? Whoa, whoa, come on. Well, no, 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 no. I'm just Don't. saying that it's like I like – for as much as I like those movies, it's not like they were reinventing the wheel. It was like these are the movies yeah. that I liked watching. Like Eli Roth literally yeah. went like – I liked Cannibal Holocaust. I'm going to make a movie that's like what if they made Cannibal Holocaust today and it sucked. Yeah, that movie's really bad. I guess like we haven't – I don't know that we've really seen any like – waves in extremity mm-hmm. the way like the, the last one i mean granted i'm no film historian but the last one i can really think of is like new french extremity which was you know the aughts feels like we haven't seen that even though like definitely the extreme cinema world is blowing up right now yeah. I would hesitate to call that a wave because it's like how do you lump in like pseudo snuff and fetish stuff into like and also that's not cracking the mainstream yeah exactly crucially you know, outside of YouTube where it is, but like you're not going and seeing that at like the Toronto International yeah, Film yeah, yeah. Festival or whatever. So it's it's interesting. Like in internet horror, I do not think it's that either. It's not pushing into those extremes. It'll be interesting to see if we ever have a new wave of like extreme films, whether it's like stuff like Cat 3 or Pink or New French, whatever it might be. Granted, it's hard to say Pink and Cat 3 are waves because they're based around industries and yeah no but, but 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 the um the sort of the sort of sentiment stands there where it's like mm-hmm. when a when a category three movie or a pink movie sort of came out you could point at it and recognize and be like okay this is yeah. clearly following in a legacy um and i think yeah. a lot of that style of filmmaking has now sort of been absorbed by a company like a neon or an a24 where it's just like mm-hmm. uh in some ways the the brand the producer the distributor becomes the selling yeah. point for the film where it's just like oh this is the new a24 movie like i want to see it now yeah. um which is inherently lamer than what these organic movements were uh but it's all we've got dude <laughs> we should do a season on pink films you want to want you want to make me watch some pornos yes dude <laughs> okay okay there's some incredible pink films that will blow your little baby boy mind we gotta do a season. I'm trying to get fired from my job. Clearly. <laughs> um, well, shit. Let's talk about the the final fight in this film, which mm. for a movie that's so gratuitous, involved, over the top, and violent, uh, it's not like the final fight is a disappointment or a letdown, but it is very quick. There's a brevity to it. Um, 
they well you 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 stick a motherfucker in a, a meat industrial sized meat grinder he's not getting back up i don't know if you knew that it's about the human body it's one of those fights where it's like look it's it's going to be two hits i'm going to hit you and you're going to hit the floor this one's more like you're going to punch me you're going to transform into the hulk i'm going to throw you into a meat grinder so again one punch man one punch man I mean, that, that's basically how it goes. Ricky kind of clears house. It's awesome. The warden comes in is like, you, me, let's just get this over with. They kind of engage them in a little slap fight, pretty casual. <laughs> and then the, the, the big boss gets so fucking mad that he hulks out, transforms into a big puppet monster. And then Ricky basically just grabs him and is like, nah, throws him into the meat grinder. <laughs> and like, well, no, Zank throws him into the meat grinder, does a disservice to this, where it's like he stuff like packs him into the meat grinder he gets every limb in there and you watch it all um just get turned into fucking dust and and sausage and then he pulls the head out he saves the head runs it out to the prisoners throws it and says you're free, you're free. goes and punches down the wall and runs away in the credits roll now this is where i will stick up for the political underpinnings of Ricky O'Cole and the story of Ricky because throwing down the head of the oppressor, punching down the prison walls and freeing, uh, you know, the, the throngs of working men. It's not hard to pick up what you're putting down there. And I'm not talking and about the warden's out, head. And worth pointing out, they were all nonviolent yes. offenders arrested over petty drug crimes or petty theft, like all nonviolent. It was totally okay to let them back into society. Com- communist icon Riccio. Riccio, go yeah, on, right. go on, Chapo. Yeah. Uh, no, nah, come, <laughs> come on. He's too cool. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Uh, fucking banger movie. Blast yeah, of a movie. So good. It's so good. You won't have a bad time watching it. Guaranteed. Like, you literally, it's impossible. You got any recommendations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so my recommendations are based off the the English dub because I know that's the version that you most recently watched, and just stuff mm-hmm. that that I thought of. Um, I think actually maybe where I saw the trailer for Riccio was I saw a thirty five millimeter print of Shogun Assassin, which is the mm. English dubbed version of the first three. Uh, Lone Wolf and Cub movies spliced together and then dubbed in English. So not a great sort of movie in and of itself, but a really fun little experiment. You take three movies in this infamous, beloved 20-something film series from Japan, smush the first three of them together and then dub it over in English. You're going to lose a lot. Um, but that's a really great film sort of from a similar era and kind mm-hmm. of a nice little object that documents the American bastardization and fascination with kind of, you know, films like this. That one's more of the the samurai era, but kind of has a similar production quality and vibe to it. Um, and then, and then a little film that I recently rewatched, uh, that I think is a, another perfect film, uh, one of the best comedies ever made. And that would be a little movie called Black Dynamite, uh, which is okay. sits similarly in the, the obvious exploitation space um that one very clearly is a a parody but i think one of the best parody films ever made because it's so uh instinctually understands the genre that it's riffing on and what you know exploitation films were doing and how they were made um and part of the appeal and the charm of that movie is how it plays on those aesthetics um and i also think Mm -hmm. maybe at the end of the day it is the funniest movie ever made the the deduction sequence in black dynamite uh is a scene that 
I think about all the time and I think is maybe the funniest a movie has ever been. Uh, so if you haven't seen Black Dynamite, you you must. I think I only got one recommendation. It's another Cat 3 darling. It's Herman Yao's Ebola Syndrome. Yes, sir. This film is nasty, bro. Um, it's definitely playing in the theater of extremeness that Ricky O is. However, um, you basically follow just a piece of fucking shit played by Anthony <laughs> Chinese best acting award. He won a best oh, an award for best actor at the Chinese Academy Awards one time wow. for a Cat Three film directed by Herman Yao. That's Yow, cool. Told story. It's crazy. It's crazy. Anyway, he's in this. Um, playing just a piece of fucking shit, um, doing piece of shit shit, uh, <laughs> contracts Ebola. Piece of shit shit. Have you seen? He uh... gets, oh, go ahead. He gets Ebola through uh, various means. You know, go to does the dog die before watching this one? Make sure you can handle this. And it ends with uh, Anthony Wong running around the streets of Hong Kong, spitting at passerby's, yelling Ebola. <laughs> And it's crazy. And there's a, a really interesting read on the film. I don't know if it's correct or not, but nevertheless, I think it's a fun thought experiment when watching a movie as nasty, as nihilistic, and as vicious as Ebola Syndrome, which is easy to read as devoid of meaning and just celebrating cruelty. However, there's an interesting read of the film. Category 3 was not a, a, a Chinese film rating. It was a Hong Kong mm-hmm. film rating when that was – what I guess would – It'd be right to say an autonomous nation within Japan. Or well, within it was, um, I, you know, I was reading about the production of this film and kind of the way all of this mm-hmm. era of filmmaking emerged is like, and this is fucked up to even consider. It was when Britain was handing Hong Kong so, back to China. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was about. There's a reading of Ebola syndrome that it is one of the last gasps of a Cat 3 Hong Kong filmmaker before Britain gave Hong Kong back, and they didn't know if they would be able to continue Category 3 once they went under Chinese law, Mm -hmm. censorship, the film industry. And so some people see this movie as being as mean as it is, as one last fuck you to the world. If we can never do this again, here it is. I don't know if that's true. I feel like Herman Yao maybe has said, no, I just made this movie. I wanted to make a movie where a guy spit on people. It sounded fun. Yeah, yeah. I think he literally just did did say, like, this was the script I was hired to make, so I made it. However, I think that reading is very interesting, and that movie uh, is very good, if extremely uncomfortable to watch. But God, uh, Vinegar Syndrome put out a pretty amazing Blu-ray of it a year or two ago. Um, in in the Blu-ray that I have, uh, that's fantastic, and anyone who's made it this far should just go fucking buy because it's great. Um, there's a really great essay in the booklet uh, about sort of the legacy of Asian prison films, um, and that talks about mm. female prisoner seven hundred one Scorpion a lot in there. Um, oh, Mako Kaji, yeah, which is a movie that definitely like kind of has parallels to this, but it, it also talks about a lot of like Chu Hark films in that the whole on fire series, which I think I referenced pretty heavily on the triad underworld episode. So like, you know, a little, a little through line is emerging for some of the stuff that we're picking, but um we're moving somewhere completely new uh, for our next sort of month of films. You're hearing this episode, hopefully uh, unless it's, you know, years in the future and you're listening on your, fucking i don't know device that lives inside your 
prefrontal cortex. Um, you're hearing that like in Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah, like in Hi-Fi Rush on your on your robot guitar arm. Um, for 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 March, the month that we're entering now, March 2023, um, we're going to be talking about films from France. And, uh, the, the new French extremity, which is a beloved little genre of, of one Blake Hester movement era, whatever you want to call it. But we're going to be getting down and dirty. We're going to be talking about some freak shit, uh, folks. Can we just talk about the movies we're going to watch? Is this going to be a month of not feeling not good? Not feeling great. Uh, let's see. First up, next week, we're watching Trouble Every Day from Claire Denis. Yes. Uh, uh, genuinely one of my favorite films of all time has has been in my letterboxed top four you know that's that's the kind of if movie we're talking about here never seen yeah. it it stars beatrice doll yes. who if you ask me is a doll uh, i recently um, was i recently met her in another film that we're going to be talking about i thought you meant literally <laughs> um, that'd be great and then uh also one of the forefathers of this podcast uh what is that vincent vincent gallo, gallo yeah <laughs> I've never seen any of his Trouble movies, Every Day is, is fucking – that movie's a trip. I've never seen a movie with or by Vincent Gallo, mm-hmm. but I do feel like he is one of the Mount Rushmore of Region Free. He, he's used in that me. movie okay. in the perfect way, which is like, Good. what a piece of shit. What a fucking asshole. From there, we're moving on to Inside yep. La Intrude, a personal favorite of mine. My God. I, You know what? I'm going to say this. AJ, I know you've watched it for a short and low-budget edit. I, I say that as if that's a knock against the film. I, I think it is genuinely one of the scariest movies I've ever seen, at least in the first 45 yeah. minutes. Yeah. I mean, I watched this movie recently for the very first time and, like, had me – uh a parts of it had me like turning lights on in my house checking that there wasn't someone in the house mm-hmm. with me and then b for the for parts of the finale had me like with a blanket pulled up over my <laughs> eyes like could not look at the screen like if you want a movie that'll, right. that'll elicit a reaction inside 2007 is one uh also starring uh beatrice that's Dahl. right important if anyone's gonna pre-watch these before the show it's important to note there is an American remake. Do not, not watch, watch that. that. If, you, <laughs> if you watch Inside and you can understand it, or B, it has Bo Burnham in it, you're watching the wrong movie. You need to be or watching Or Willem Dafoe. They're film. making another one. It's not I mean, a remake. Uh, oh, okay. They're making a movie called Inside is what I meant by they're making another one. <laughs> uh, then, we'll, then we're moving on to Gaspar Noe's short, also story Beatrice That's Dahl. right. Maybe it's the Lux Beatrice Doll season. Yeah, Lux Eterna. Uh, which is something of a filmic experiment. Also, I think an ad for like Louis Vuitton yeah. or something. It's very strange. Uh, yeah, something like uh, that. Um, there, do you know they're, uh, I mean, maybe we will just talk about this on that episode as well. They're doing the, the one night screening of the straight cut of Irreversible. Where? Uh, like next month ish. It should line up pretty close to when I'm recording that episode. It's playing. In a theater by me, so maybe it's playing in a theater by you. I thought it was just a New York only oh. thing, but it is coming. Uh, yeah, I should look that up. Cause, you know, that would be he's a freak. He's mm-hmm. one of our faves. It's, it's not playing, but if you go see it, I think my copy of the movie has the straight cut. I could just watch oh, it. Oh, really? I thought it was something brand yeah. new that he had just done. I'll have to okay. double check. Yeah. I'll have to double check. That's a movie uh, uh, that we will not be doing an episode on, but we'll probably talk about it at some point. <laughs> We could do it. Everyone has heard of Irreversible <laughs> at this point. It's not, it's, we could talk about it. It'd be fine. Um, 
Then we're moving on to Frontiers. Uh, just a Frontier E uh, and then yeah. open parentheses S close parentheses. You know, the French, yeah. they're going nuts. I, I misspelled it in our Google calendar. Um, awesome movie. If you liked Green Room, yeah. this is a good double feature. With if Green you like Room. Kevin Smith's Red State. Yeah. yeah, you know what I did, but I've never revisited. I've it. I've only seen it once, but I was watching that movie yeah. recently as well too, and I was like, you know what, getting a lot of Kevin Smith Red State vibes from this one. Yeah, and then closing it out, all timer. The one of the newer from, entries in the new French canon from Julia D. Not Titan. It's Raw, a movie that I feel raw. like, for as popular as Titan was, people don't talk about Raw or see it as much. They're actually um. They're showing it at, at the Alamo here in Raleigh next month. And uh, that's a movie that I saw for the first time in theaters, like, at a midnight showing mm-hmm. and was, like, you know, a beautiful experience. I, I hold key to my heart. So I'm going to try and see that on I, the big screen again. I I won't presume it'll be the last movie to make me cry during a piss scene, <laughs> but it definitely was the first that made me cry during a piss scene. Uh, Raw is... It's raw. It's we're raw. Watch a lot of, yeah, we're we're gonna watch a lot of ugly shit next month. But Raw is truly a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful movie. Film. Yeah, I love like that you know, movie. one of our favorites. Yeah. So so get excited for uh, oh, the the French Extremité. Pierre Escargot. Pierre Escargot. We'll be eating uh, croissants, and we will be recording every episode at nine a.m. I don't know, like bro. I'm, that's I fucked that joke up. Um, Here's my question, though, AJ. Like, I, I I'll happily admit I haven't seen a lot of the new French extremity deep cuts. Yeah, but I've seen a lot of the standbys. Are you from other than the the ones I know you've seen? Are you like, have you gone down this rabbit hole before? Or this like burgeoning territory for you? Like, have you seen martyrs? Yeah, martyrs. High tension. Uh, okay. High tension. There's one called them. Right? Is it them mm-hmm. or yeah? Mm-hmm. So like. I feel like yeah. those are the – I think I've seen, like, the Mount Rushmore kind of okay. films of it. Like, I know – and obviously all the Gaspar Noe stuff. Like, I know mm-hmm. the broad strokes of yeah. the movement. And, and after I watched Inside, I kind of was just, like, digging down that rabbit hole and seeing what else there was. Um, just, like, following, you know, the Beatrice Dahl yeah. films and stuff like that. Um, uh it's definitely one of those things where it's not an intentional movement. It's kind of retrospectively seen as a yeah, movement. Yeah, people were like, I what think? the fuck was going on? And, and like, there's a lot of, yeah. I think what we're going to get into or, or stuff that I was starting to piece together is like, why? Um, you know, France is a country that obviously has a lot of cinematic history, uh, has a lot of history, period, overall, um, but has a lot of important, you know, legacy in the history of cinema with, filmmakers like Godard and Truffaut um and then yeah. what happened to make all these little perverts start making some of the most <laughs> twisted movies you'll ever see in your life I think there's a lot to uh to dig into and, and pull apart there um so I'm really excited did, to be doing those episodes did you ever did you ever like um I guess this I think this predates this era but still we can just like consider it with the new French extremity did you ever see Man Bites Dog yeah of course Oh man, we talked about that movie recently on Something Rotten. Um, I had to explain to Jacob. <laughs> You're like, and then and then movie. this happens. <laughs> yeah. Um and uh what a what a fucking flick. We should maybe we do a bonus on Man by yeah, Dog, because like, I've been wanting to rewatch uh, that. Territories is a really good one. 
Shizan? Shizan? Yeah. There's a lot of them. stuff like... Is there a movie called Seven? I'm kind of, I'm kind of just like looking at this list right now. Um, some, some, some friends of mine have requested that we do an episode on Demon Lover. Have you ever seen that film? No. Olivier oh, Sayas. No. Uh, oh, D- D- Demon Lover. Is that the one? Is Chloe Seventy in that? Or is that D? Yeah, she's in this one. Riveting radio. Okay. Yeah, I know what movie you're talking about. I've never seen it. Yeah. No. People have told me that it would be a great fit for this pod. Is this a French movie? Yeah, it's Olivier Assayas who made uh, Irma Veep, Clouds of Souls Maria, uh, mm. Cold Water. He's kind of a bit okay. like he's not a. He dips his toes into the freak shit sometimes. I yeah. see. And then, of course, we'll be closing out the season with uh, Amelie. <laughs> the most perverted <laughs> film the French have ever made. Here's the thing. If you make a movie in France, it's just a pervert movie. We doesn't matter what it we've is. We've already talked about my beef with teenagers on this podcast. My beef with the French is something I'm going to have to get over. I started this year. We're just kind of kicking yeah. it at the end of this episode. I started this year with two French films, actually. Mm-hmm. I watched uh, Athena. Yeah. A bad movie. A bad movie, I think. I still got to watch, watch the first 20 minutes of that movie. No, the first 11 okay, minutes. Then I'll shut it off. The first 11 minutes are incredible. But then I watched um, Lahane. Oh, which yeah, I dude. Before. Um, I had never fucking seen it, but I watched Athena and I was like, this feels exactly like Lahane. I should finally watch that. What a fucking movie, God! Yeah, damn. I mean, he 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 passed last year. Uh, but one of my oh really? No, no, no. Sorry, not him. Uh, oh, uh, talking about Godard, Jean Luc Godard, one mm, of my favorite mm, filmmakers mm. of all time. Uh, and I've seen most of his kind of beloved movies, and then have seen a lot of his late period stuff. Now, you know, last period stuff. But um, I I. I Went and filled in a couple of the gaps I hadn't seen last year, but his his last three movies now, um, which are Goodbye to Language, The Image Book, and Film Socialisma, some of the mm. weirdest, most experimental stuff anyone has ever done. Uh, God bless that man for just being a freak to the last minute. Uh, like, yeah, um, Goodbye to Language is was a three D movie where. It's it's two side by side images that are just different things the entire time, and you're supposed to watch it in 3D. And the point of it is, it's meant to just completely disorient you. <laughs> That's sick. very cool thing. Did you did you ever get around to watching Vortex? No, no. I've still uh, I've still still got it on the old watch list. I mean that that also yeah. does the two different things at the same time, dude. That movie's so good. Yeah. It was one, it was like my favorite movie it's, last uh, year, along with Jackass uh, Four. Argento's in it, right? He's one of the actors. He's like the, the lead, lead actor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Argento's in it, um, and uh, it's by no- Gaspar. Yeah, Noe. I watched a lot of Haneke last year too. Um, obviously not French, but films like Cachet, and I think mm. I brought up the White Ribbon on an earlier episode. Is Cachet's the one with the scene where the guy slits his throat. Yep. Like, it's all building yeah. up to this confrontation. He just, oh, my God. That scene. Okay, here's the thing. I don't know where I'd seen that scene because I've never seen that movie. But a couple of years ago, I spent, like, two hours just trying to find what that yeah, was from. A, and a YouTube all video knew, of, like, most twisted movie scenes of all time. Yeah, all I, all I knew was that what I remember. surprised that <laughs> Well, it's such a shocking mm. image. And I uh, I spent, like, two hours Googling, like – 
everything I could remember until it finally popped up, and I was like, oh, it's the funny games guy. The, the, <laughs> um, the ending of that movie is so cool because it, like, does a twist ending in the most muted and understated way ever, where it sort of, like, reveals a thing as the end credits are playing, only if you're paying attention to one section of the thing that's happening on screen. Very cool movie. That's my favorite Haneke movie by far. Um we should watch. We should watch though. I've only seen funny. Yeah, uh, Criterion just. I think it maybe just came out, but they did like three of his early movies. They just restored. Uh, I don't think yeah. Cache was in there, but Hanky's a freak. He's he's a real one. Yeah. Should we wrap? Yeah. Up? Thanks for listening, freaks. <laughs> you're you're real Thanks. ones. Yeah. What's what's up? up? Let Let's get off this call so we can figure out what season three yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. Bye bye. Ricky Ho, 21 years old, sentenced to serve 10 years for manslaughter and assault. The cells are divided into four wings, east, west, north, and south. Each wing is controlled by a leader. They're also known as the Gang of Four. None of you are worthy enough to see the warden yet. So you think you're human beings? To me, you're lower than a fly. Ricky Ho is extremely dangerous. Why didn't you let the doctors take the five bullets out of you? <laughs> Souvenirs. Where were you for those two years? Are you a trained killer? Tell me! May I reveal to you my secret? We'll be the day you die! I can hurt people without even touching them. A demon is he? You think you're real tough? I'm a lot tougher than you think. All right, you got a lot of guts, Oscar. Sin Gambo is the secret. It's Gambo who makes you the best fighter.